Hello and welcome to the DFS Coach Talk podcast. It is Tuesday, April 14th, 2020. I am Andrew Hansen, and I have been involved in a battle with the internet today. Thankfully, I have my patient partner here, Andy Gallagher, to keep me sane. Andy, what are the chances we're going to get this one recorded? Yeah, as long as we get it out there and um, out to cyberspace, we'll be just fine. We want to make sure that uh, we're on uh, all cylinders right now, hitting it on all of them. (laughs) Seriously, that is the goal. But it has been a struggle today. Somebody ran into a telephone pole in my neighborhood, knocked out the Internet for the entire neighborhood. They said it was going to be four hours to fix it. And so then I I set up the personal hotspot. We connected on that. And right when we were ready to fire this thing up, the Internet came back on. So now we're going to put our faith in the regular Internet and see if we can get this thing done. Yeah, it can come out really fast in some places and really just – cure your ails there for you it's it's nice when it happens so quickly you know and they tell you four hours and then they over deliver and they get it done in less than one i mean that's that's a nice thing oh yeah (laughs) so again fingers crossed that we get this thing in and cyberspace cooperates it's sort of like the real season here as we get into our mlb podcasts Certainly, we hit the pause button. Everything was shut down, and now we can start to tentatively hope that everything's back up and running. Big news today was that down in Florida, the governor came out and and stated that the professional sports are going to be considered essential in Florida. So that keeps the door open for that dual location baseball plan that you and I talked about on the podcast yesterday with half of the teams in Florida and half in Arizona. But there was another article today in The Athletic uh, discussing the powers that be with MLB continuing to explore the options there and just trying to come up with a plan that makes sense and talking about how if they set a plan, there's now more talk about potentially changing the plan as we go. So a lot's still up in the air here, Andy, but um, it seems like, you know, the the leader in the clubhouse right now is Arizona for hosting some real major league games this summer. Yeah, it seems like it. So that's why it's kind of interesting really to start out with the teams, especially that we have, you know, they're out in the West. They'll be easily accessible. They'll probably be more comfortable, more ready to go out there to get some balls going. You know, we're just inching towards that anticipated return of any sport so we're looking forward to of course especially um, baseball at this time as you know it has the best chance of returning first that's right and you mentioned the the teams out there that we're going to be covering today and they are of course the Arizona Diamondbacks and the Colorado Rockies we've completed our baseball strategy podcasts and now we're going right into the team team breakdowns and we thought it would make sense to start with Arizona because that's where we might see some baseball here in the near future. And the Diamondbacks are really in a unique position with Chase Field potentially being the hub of the entire league this year. So we're going to jump in and break down uh, the Diamondbacks from a fantasy perspective. I'll take the first whack at it. I'll, I'll, I'll be lead off here and then you can you can be the cleanup hitter, Andy. So 
taking a broad overview of Arizona, they went 85 and 77 last year and just missed out on the wild card. But that's three straight years with a winning record. Uh, my man Mike Hazen is the general manager, and he's done a great job navigating the roster, uh, trying to stay competitive and young at the same time. And so we'll get into some of those moves here as we go. But I, I like their chances to compete. They made a big splash with Madison Bumgarner, big free agent signing. He came in for five years and $85 million. And, you know, that'll be that'll be fun to watch what impact he has on that rotation guy with that much postseason experience. You know, talk about a clutch pitcher who gets it done. He hasn't really gotten it done in recent years. It's been a few years since he's gotten 10 wins, but he's been dealing with injuries. He was a workhorse again last year, though. He got 34 games in as a starter, which led the league. He got over 200 innings, over 200 Ks, uh, very respectable 8.8 strikeout per nine rate. And I took a look at his stats in Chase Field, since this will be his first year wearing the Diamondbacks uniform. And in his career, he's done pretty well there. He's 8-4 and four with a 3.13 ERA, 8.2 strikeouts per nine. And, of course, that is – dependent a lot on battling Arizona and their lineup. But it's good to know that there's no red flags there. You know, he seems to have been comfortable on that mound. Um, you know, I think one of the big questions is going to be his off-the-field stuff. You know, he made headlines this offseason with his activities with the rodeo. So I think Arizona is just hoping he can get fo- get focused on baseball and get back on the mound. Right, so, Andrew, that's what we're looking for, like uh, guys like this where, you know, paying attention to detail, what are they doing during the off season? Are they working out? Things like that. You know, he had a motorcycle crash was the accident, the cause of um, that happened three years ago. Uh, so, you know, he is only 30 years old. So it, it seems like the, the body can still heal and, and come back to peak performance at that age. Yeah, I have a lot of faith in him after he got – you know, back to those innings levels last year and over that 200K barrier that he's definitely going to be a force. I think he's going to want to make a strong impression to get started with his new teammates. So I'll be looking at him in early season DFS. And then his partner at the top of the rotation, another lefty, Robbie Ray. This guy's stats are incredible. What a what a strikeout rate. 12.1 strikeouts per nine last year. Um 235 strikeouts in only 174 innings. And I found a fun stat there with Robbie Ray. Do you know that he's the only player besides Chris Sale to have three seasons with over 200 strikeouts in less than 175 innings pitched? Huh, wasn't sure about that one there. I know he was a great um, strikeout pitcher. His balls are basically four-seamer and slider. Um, these are also his best two pitches. So he uses his best two. Um, he, he does give up a decent amount of exit velocity. Um, that is last year after allowing, uh, a lot of, uh, velocity and hard contact in his previous two seasons before, you know, prior to 2019. So, uh, last year he did, he did improve. He got better at that and not allowing so much hard contact. So the Rays actually plans, um, you know, with, with, um, he has like a, 
actually plan on changing his uh, motion a bit. Um, they, the Rays have plans to have him pitch with an over-the-top motion out of this windup um, that he has this season, more similar to like a Max Scherzer or Jack Flaherty, um, that type of movement that he helps uh, help him create better timing and a more direct finish to the plate. So um, that genesis of change basically began in part with a recent consultation with a former D-backs ace, Zach Greinke. So Greinke has many moving parts with his mechanics, and now he's with, uh, of course, Houston, uh, which are widely recognized as, you know, among the most games, best polished. So, you know, Ray isn't exactly attempting, um, just quoting this, he's not attempting to mirror Greinke, who delivers from his chest and not over his head, but instead to emulate him. So well, I'm not sure what that means exactly, but... <laughs> <laughs> means, you know, he's trying to get better on on that particular motion. Yeah, so it's interesting. Obviously, they played next to each other in Arizona. Uh, smart. I mean, pitcher, you hear it all the time with pitchers trying to get the best of their teammates and sharing information, whether it be a pitch or a grip or a part of their motion. And, you know, f- fun to hear that he's trying to lean on Granke's experience and expertise. And of course he'll have Bumgarner by his side this year, another lefty to, to lean on. And um, if they can get to the postseason, then he can lean on his postseason experience. But another stat that jumped out at me for Robbie Ray that I wanted to mention is his walk rate, 4.3 walks per nine innings. So incredible how many batters he strikes out or walks. But in terms of the fantasy strategy, He's much more of a he's going to be much more of a target for me on FanDuel because you don't get penalized as a pitcher with mm-hmm. the walks. And so taking advantage of that, uh, coupled with the fact that you get three points for, for the strikeout, uh, Robbie Ray will definitely be a target for me on FanDuel. Yeah, even sort of a safety valve in a way, even though he doesn't seem like a safe pitcher. He's not like a regular, you know, low amount of hits allowed type of um keeping the ball low, I suppose, type pitcher. But he can um, come out on top even if he doesn't, like, get a win. You know, they got some tough competition with the Dodgers in that division in, in the West. So maybe, they, you know, he doesn't get um, some of the other ancillary stats extra, you know, like quality start and stuff like that. But he can rack up the strikeouts pretty easy, which gives you a floor. So that's what you want as a DFS option. Absolutely. So in terms of the rest of the rotation, I'll just hit on the rest of these guys quickly. Luke Weaver is a young pitcher that came over in the Goldschmidt trade, and he had a career-low ERA last year, under three. He's at 2.94. He has a good strikeout rate, uh, 9.7 strikeouts per nine innings. Now, he only got 12 starts and 64 innings after that transaction, so... We'll see what he can do with a full season. Um, but but he continues that trend of, of a high strikeout rate. So um, that's one of the main themes I want our listeners to take away from this as we talk about the Diamondbacks pitchers is these guys know how to rack up the strikeouts. Same thing with the next young pitcher, Zach Gallen. He was a rookie last year. He came over from Miami and he finished the year with only three wins, but uh, of course, coming over from that poor team, Miami, his ERA was 2.81. So that's that's a big takeaway. And his strikeout rate was 10.9 per nine innings. So those four first four starters that I've mentioned all have very strong strikeout rates. 
Um, and I think that's important to keep in mind here when you look at the staff. In, in terms of the bottom of, of the rotation, I, I probably won't target any any of these other pitchers. Mike Leak uh, could very well see a bunch of starts. He came over from Seattle last year. He finished the year with 32 starts, much lower strikeout rate, 5.8 strikeouts per nine innings. And the issue with him is he was injured this spring. Apparently he got he broke his left wrist chasing his dog in February. And so he was back on the mound in March, but he was just throwing simulated games. So he's one of those guys that this this uh, extended break could help and potentially allow him to start the season, whereas otherwise he would not have. But the other guy who might get some starts if Leak remains out is Merrill Kelly. He actually got 32 starts last year for Arizona, but really sort of run in the mill. ERA well over four, strikeout rate yet only 7.8 strikeouts per nine. So uh, certainly not a guy you'd want to use. Um, but potentially target batters against. And then I'll just touch on the bullpen briefly. You came up with some good stats, uh, Andy, before the show here that I'll, I'll mention. Archie yeah. Bradley is their closer. and He got 18 saves last year. Um, also strong strikeout rate, 10.9, uh, ERA of 3.52. So he was he was steady at the back of the bullpen, and then they made two pickups in terms of veteran relievers, Junior Guerra and Hector Rondon. Both of them solid ERAs in the threes in their 30s, so they've been around the block. But as a team, the the, the two stats that we shared before the show, um, their bullpen only gave up 1.18 homers per nine. And the ERA was 3.7. So um, with Bumgarner now in the picture and a solid bullpen, I'm not planning to target batters against Arizona that that much. What are your thoughts on on the Arizona pitching staff and whether to play batters against them or not? Right. We can look at kind of depending on how it goes. I mean, with Bumgarner, he – he gave up a lot of very bad exit velocity last year in hard contact as well, just to kind of like pivot off that also. But uh, if he uses his, this particular pitch, uh, the curveball, he was allowing only a, a dot two five Oh, so two fifty X Woba. And he only used that 18% of the time last year. So expect that to change. Um, so that should be a primary pitch for him. And, <clears throat> excuse me, Kelly is also interesting, uh, Merrill Kelly, because he had a nice showing in spring training with some uh, fastballs right on the corner, showed a lot of control. He had a couple of these high curving pitches where the batter is swinging under the ball. So this may have been his breaking ball, but uh, he's only allowing sub 250 Woba as well on this particular pitch. This is last year. So this 25-year-old is a control pitcher. And you mentioned about the bullpen, you know, they were very bad at the beginning, let's say first half of the season. But then when they let go of uh, Greg Holland, they released him. He signed with another team. I don't recall at the moment, but then um, this other guy came in. You mentioned uh, Archie Bradley. He actually saved 18 out of 19 games. So he only missed one save in a 19. Um, 
pretty amazing there, and he really turned that bullpen uh, around. So they actually were in the top 10 as far as you guys mentioned. Home runs per nine, uh, important stuff is ERA. Yeah, 18 for 19, that's that's a stat you can write home about in terms of converting saves. Yeah, not much that's of a little... DFS uh, option, of course. Right, not really much of an impact other than potentially uh, steering away from bats against Arizona because certainly we like to target teams with the, those terrible bullpens and we can hope to get in that bat or two against later in the game. So uh, n- not as much of a target there, but uh, certainly going to target some of these batters for Arizona. Uh, love some of these stats. So let's start out with Cattell Marte right at the top. What a stud this guy is. Last year, he was third in the majors in batting average. He was sixth in slugging. Seventh in OPS and top 10 in war. Came out, uh, started off strong again in spring training, batting 375. But just beautiful numbers across the board. 32 home runs as a switch hitter. So just fantastic. And, you know, looking at some of these prices in the early season simulations on FanDuel, He's right around 3,300, 3,400, which to me is, is a pretty good value compared to some of the other studs. So uh, he would certainly be a target for me. Uh, one other stat that jumped out for me in terms of specifically planning when to play Marte is against left-handed pitchers, he had a home run 7.3% of the time last year. So very good against lefties. Uh, next in the order is Star- Starling Marte who's going to come over from Pittsburgh, play center field. He had uh, 23 home runs last year, 25 stolen bases, so nice 2020 guy. And the stolen bases jumped out at me for him because uh, Cattell Marte actually led the starters for Arizona in stolen, ba- stolen bases last year with only 10. So to have a guy come into the lineup who had 25 stole 25 bags last year that could be a real nice boost for the team and, and something to consider uh, on Marte. Next in the order is going to be Eduardo Escobar. Uh, he also had some great power numbers last year, 35 home runs, 118 RBI, led the league in triples with 10. And he's another switch hitter. So uh, and, and also in that same price range as Marte, in these simulations. So those are two guys I'm going to stack together because, you know, you, you love how they're right there at the, t- at the top of the order with each other. They seem to feed off of each other. They had three games last year where they both hit home runs on both sides of the plate. And they are the first teammates in NL history where they're both switch hitters and they both hit over 30 homers in the same season. So there's just something clicking with those two. And I, I plan to stack those two together here um, throughout the season. Do you, do you like that pairing together? Sure, that'd be the way to go. I mean, if you're looking at that team, um, I did that a lot last year. Yeah, uh, except Marte uh, Starling, that is, he wasn't with the team, however. Um, so you're looking at those two guys, though, sometimes together doing double stacks, sure. You know, because um, the thing with Cattell is that um, – the question here really is being um, to what extent is the power real? Because, um, uh, you know, we don't know. Well, we do have a sample of the, the year uh, moving forward with the humidor, you know, the results of that and, and trying to move forward with that. They had a humidor. 
that affect the balls and, and took the moisture out of the ball, of course. So um, a lot of people were expecting some kind of decline, about, particularly in, in Cattell Marte's power. Um, to what de- degree he sustains, you know, I suspect he's made improvements, but not as good as his Woba actually shows. So, uh, but there is real data to back up, you know, uh, more compared to more so compared to Starling. So you can rely on Cattell a bit more for consistent power. And, and like you mentioned, he, he's the, you know, he was leader in steals last year for them. So. Yeah. I, I can see why there'd be some doubts about Cattell continuing that power surge. He, his home run total before last year, his highest was 14. So to jump all the way up to 32 is just a massive increase. So that will be important to watch for sure. Um, let's go to the cleanup hitter, David Peralta. And he didn't get a full season last year, so he only, only got 12 homers and 57 RBI in, in 99 games. The season before, he got to 30 home runs, uh, better batting average, 293, 87 RBI. But at 2,800 in some of these simulations, I'd rather spend up for Starling Marte or or spend a little bit more for Cattell or Escobar. The next two guys in the order I, I want to compare here. In the five and six slots, we've got Christian Walker, first baseman. And last year was his first full season where he got a, a ton of at-bats, and he managed to hit 29 home runs. And I want to compare him to Cole Calhoun, who's likely going to hit sixth. Uh, Calhoun had 33 homers last year for the Angels. So this is going to be his first year in town. And I I took a look at his stats historically in Chase Field. And because he was in the other league, uh, he hasn't had many at-bats there. He's only four for 16 with no home runs. And I know that's a small sample size, but before I'm going to play Calhoun here in the beginning of the year, I'm going to wait and see if he can settle in and find that power stroke and see one go out of the yard because – you, you, you never know. Something like that could feel like a monkey on his back until he gets one. And especially considering their prices. I mean, in these simulations, Christian Walker's priced at 2300 on FanDuel, and Calhoun's been more in that 2900 range. So I don't really see any reason to spend $600 for the bigger name in Calhoun when you can get similar power numbers from Walker. And... I do want to point out uh, an interesting stat on Walker with his splits. His home run percentage against lefties is 4.1, but against righties, it's 6.0. And he, of course, is a right-handed batter. So um, I'm going to look to target Christian Walker as a value play, a guy who can hit home runs against a right-handed pitcher in that very cheap price range. And I'm going to play him over Calhoun here early in the season. As yeah, for unfortunately the, here, sorry about that. The yeah, Christian Walker, there's something there's a mentioning a suspension with him. Uh, he batted fifth in a, a Cactus League game before it was. Uh, we we're on hold here with the play, but then I was trying to find out more about that um, if he would be in the lineup. So I might have to wait out on him to see what that um, how that suspension plays out. I'm not sure oh. what it was about. Okay, good. Thanks for mentioning. I hadn't caught. Thanks for mentioning that. I hadn't caught that. No, I apologize. Uh, I'm so, I apologize. I, I mistook the 
they may they meant suspended to MLB, not suspended as far as. Oh, good. Survival. Sorry about that. Oh, phew. All right. So my early season <laughs> value play is still available. Oh, excellent. <laughs> I thought we might have to take a look at Lamb off the bench as another cor- uh, corner infielder there for oh, Arizona. You're fine. Sorry about that. Okay, He's good. A power hitter though. Good power hitter. Yeah, he is. So um, that's about it for me for for targeting the batters because at the bottom of the order we've got Nick Ahmed, shortstop. You know he's a he's a cheap price, and he did hit 19 home runs, but low batting average. He only got eight stolen bases last year. So for a middle in, infielder, doesn't have that speed on the base paths that you can really take advantage of. So I don't really anticipate him being much of a target for me. And then the catcher Carson Kelly, batting eighth. Right-handed hitter, good power numbers. Last year was the first year he'd gotten over 100 at-bats, and he managed to hit 18 home runs. Interesting split for him is that only four of his home runs came at home, 14 on the road. Um, So he does have some power numbers, but um, I'm certainly going to be looking primarily at the Marte, Crew, Escobar, and then Christian Walker. What are your thoughts on those Diamondbacks hitters? So you're talking Walker, Kelly, Calhoun? Yeah, just in general. Anything else about the lineup that you wanted to add, either pros or cons? I, I know you may have had a slightly different take on Ahmed as as a potential value guy, but just any stats you wanted to add with your research on, on the Diamondbacks hitters? Overall, the lineup is when it's healthy. Uh, it can be more refined, perhaps, even than last season, which would actually kind of prove myself and many others wrong. Um, you know, even with Carson Kelly, basically as a rookie uh, that's been around for a while, um, he does show good control taking walks, um, puts up a 337 X-Woba, which is fine, good for a rookie, um, for sure, you know, with 18 home runs. So you can get some good produ- production at the, at the bottom even of the order. Uh, with a lineup there, this lineup overall has a lot of lefties and switch hitters. So when you target um, righty pitchers going against them, I think you can do pretty well. I mean, Peralta doesn't stand out to excel in any particular area. His exit velocity is fine. He had one outlier 30 home run season, but don't expect to chase that in DFS at any time. So um, Calhoun also has a good ex woba 333 which is fine um, compared to the uh, OPS. So he can get barrels leading to a good amount of homers, but not likely matching the 33 homers he did, I believe it was last year. So we want to, you know, temper the expectations overall. Um, but you can, I think, definitely pick your spots and sometimes even go lower in order here. Yeah, I'll throw in one more stat on Calhoun. I mentioned that I want to wait and see if he's got the comfort in the new digs to get that home run stroke going, but... Surprising that as a lefty last year, he had 6.1% of his at-bats against left-handed pitchers go for home runs and 5.9% against righties. So he was really balanced. He had a lower batting average against left-handed pitchers, but he still had power there. So just an interesting uh, nugget there that Calhoun as a lefty had a lot of success hitting home runs against lefties and right before him again, Walker, as a righty, had a lot of success hitting home runs against righties. So, um, Oh, I'm sorry, you mentioned Ahmed. He's yep. not really far off what he can potentially do as a, as a serviceable short, short stop, that is. He can play and up in the order when needed, just providing some you know DFS value when he gets up. Um, I'm not sure how often he did that, but he 
I remember him being maybe first, third in the order. Oh, right. Yeah. And I saw that in, in the spring he did, um, he did hit at the top of the order occasionally. So, um, certainly something to keep in mind. Well, uh, all right. So there's team number one. Are you ready to transition to another team in the NL West, the Colorado Rockies? I'm good. Okay. Well, take it away. I know they were fourth in the West last year at 71 and 91. Um, but they were excellent at Coors Field, and we know that's one of the most important areas uh, of the country in MLB DFS. I don't know if we'll get to see any games in, in Coors Field this year, but uh, but share your thoughts on the Colorado Rockies for us. Yeah, well, here's where we're allowed, you know where we get to test it out. Um, I was going to start probably with with the batters, I guess, work my way backwards, but uh, sure, you know. Um, Potentially, their leadoff role is going to be with David Dahl, um, you know, strongly considered as the leadoff hitter. Um, and this is reported by the Denver Post. Um, so uh, he doesn't have a ton of speed. Um, he just stole 14 bases and actually 240 career games. But he does have a 346 on base percentage, uh, which serves well to get more, you know, on base equals more steal opportunities. So I always factor that in. As long as they're playing a righty, uh, you know, I prefer to consider that option. Um, so, but he doesn't do anything spectacular, really. He's been a good prospect for some years, battling injuries. Um, then his first full season, and now in part of the previous season as well, dating back to 2018. But he's put up very good ISO numbers, so pure power, backed by Coors Field. So what we'll see what kind of downshift that plays out to be depending on where they play out um in most of their games and then you know charlie blackman um he's likely second in the order uh that's his regular duty there you know he improved his hard contact last year actually along with everyone else in the league last year overall was a lot of homers in the league overall but um he's right on par with his career numbers and production really i wouldn't expect him to slow down yet um showing nice barrel power um and I just wanted to check to see if there was any updated news on him real quick. But while I'm with you, I'm just generally also looking at their spring training kind of results. Um, yeah, he's been used third in the in the spring, um, experimenting, you know, with the, lead, the batting order somewhat. The manager, actually, Bud Black, he wants to get um, Blackman into um, – uh, more of a run producing, I suppose, RBI producing spot in the order. So that could be effective, maybe batting third. Um, so that would be cool. And then, so that would take Nolan Arenado's spot, though, which was projected, I thought, to be third. Um, but with Arenado, you know, great home run distance last year. He always performs better in Woba than in ex-Woba. That's fine as far as performance in Colorado. It's it's inflated, but I don't expect any changes um with his fly fly ball production hit as a hitter. Um, so we can go ahead and move forward with him as um, no changes there. Superstar young stud. And then looking at Trevor story, um, fourth or fifth in the order, you know, all his batting numbers stayed with the previous season's performance along with speed um, added to the real power of excellent velocity of 91 miles per hour. Nice distance staying high in the ISO. So real good power. You know, when you get that kind of a power speed option playing the shortstop, you know, you you got to try to use that whenever you can. Hopefully you get some 
lower prices than we did last year. So that would be good as a DFS option. Yeah, I guess it's hard to expect that for a guy who had 38 doubles, 35 homers, and 23 steals. That's a nice little combo there of power and speed. Right. So, um, but overall, I would say there's, there was nothing new in spring training with these last two guys I touched on. Um, Story had three doubles and a stolen base over 10 games before the the stoppage of the season. So um, he's a 27-year-old. Um, so we, we can look at that um, continue to play out. But, you know, then moving on with the, in order uh, and at the fifth spot, potentially, Ryan McMahon. Um, if we focus on their strikeout rate, um, like for young guys, with when it's this high, you know, um, his hard contact and exit velocity make him look elite as is, uh, he has a 200 ISO. But, you know, I'm not sure if he'll be worthy yet of the spot in the order. Maybe, you know, he gets bumped down or something. And um, so I don't know. I don't really expect too much out of him. I mean, he was okay. Um, like I said, the high strikeout rate, but uh, maybe he'll improve. We'll have to see, um, get some more springtime out of him, I would say. All these guys need more, you know, springtime, obviously. And then moving our way down to, you know, perhaps sixth or seventh, we got Ian Desmond. Uh, he's a real streaky hitter. He shows to be a ground ball hitter, actually, as opposed to these other guys. Everybody I mentioned so far were fly ball hitters. We like fly ball hitters to get the ball up in the air, obviously, get some home runs, more chances of that happening. But Desmond, um, he maintained himself as a ground ball hitter. And even with 20, 20 home runs a season ago through a lot of streakiness, um, this entails a high or or low enough uh, Babbitt to be able to take advantage of um, the times where he had the velocity and hard contact as a veteran. So he can uh, tee off and get, get us some home runs at times as well in a DF, DFS when we get him on the right day and maybe he's on a hot streak or something. And then he got probably the number seven spot, um, Daniel Murphy, as long as he can hold on as a veteran. But um, as a top batting average, you know, and strikeout guy throughout his career is what he's known for. In fantasy, he dropped it off really, it seems, uh, due to age. So he may have to make way for younger talent. Um, so it's what it's honestly looking like there for Murphy. So may as well round out the last few guys potentially in some bench spots here for the uh, bottom of the order. Tony Walters, <clears throat> he's been around a few clubs in his career, but he's a ground ball hitter as well. Um, he's actually in the bottom of the league, though, in all stats. So that's not good. He's only used, <laughs> only used for <laughs> defense, you know, as a catcher. Um, he should get pinched hit uh, by guys like Garrett Hampson, Ramiel Tapia, and Brennan Rogers. Whenever he's ready to step up, he's, he was a rookie, uh, got some time in last year, but he proved a bit disappointing. Um, but the other guy I mentioned, uh, Ramiel Tapia, when he hits up in the order, actually, he was um, more than several times he batted first in the order uh, due to injury. Whenever he batted first, interesting stat, um, leading up to, I think it was mid-August or end of August, he they had a 13-2 and record when he was leading off as a hitter. So, Lucky charm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, I think that's all I really wanted to touch on with the batters. Uh, so I'll just move on. 
to the hit uh, pitchers. Number one guy, Herman Marquez. Um, you know, you got to be hip, happy with his pitch mix. He gets in strikeouts, and he did in spring training. He did he did well there. Um, he's got a fly ball uh, rate though he allows. It's high. He's got a curve, curveball, slider, and sinker. So those are his main pitches. His best ball is a curve slider, uh, probably the curve and a slider, allowing um, you know sub 200 x woba. So that's very good. Um, he does have a 95 mile per hour fastball. Um, he has a 6.26 though, however, at home ERA compared to 3.67 on the road. So you see some glaringly, you know, obviously some splits there when it comes to um, away from Colorado and, and so forth. So yeah, he he gave up 29 home runs last year. Nice target. Yeah, unfortunately for both the, the starting pitching and the and the bullpen, it really went sour last year. They had injuries in in you know with the starting lineup and then with the uh, overall with the bullpen, um, it, it really was a double slam as far as you know both um, being unsuccessful. Bottom definitely bottom ten uh, in the National League as far as Colorado's overall um, bullpen ranking. So. So unfortunately, yeah, that turned out bad for them. They had only put up only 71 wins, fourth in the West. So um, they looked to actually bounce back, though. Surprisingly, they didn't make any kind of moves that really, you know, they didn't trade any guys away. Away, somewhat surprising for other clubs because, you know, guys were after their top guys in order to see, you know, about trades and so forth. But they didn't budge. So, um, you know, their manager, Bud Black, he's happy with that. He's going to go with this lineup and see what if he can bounce back and make another couple of wild cards, you know, as far as the overall picture, because they did make wild cards uh, in the NL playoffs two seasons prior to that, 2017 and 2018, finishing uh, in 17 third and then 18 second in the NL West. So I thought that was pretty interesting overall. But, um, yeah, on with the pitchers. And we're looking at next um, John Gray. He's a six foot four pitcher. He was a number three overall pick. Um, he has a fly ball rate, though, of, of allowing 50%. So that's very high uh, for um, fly ball hitter, which is one we want to take advantage of um, definitely at times in our DFS lineups. So um, he has a slider. It, it rates at about 96 miles per hour. So that's good for him. Um, that's his best pitch. He does use his curve as well, but only at 11%. So he's mainly that slider type pitcher. Um, that's all I had pretty much as far as Mr. Gray. Uh, now we have um, Senzatella. What was his first name? Uh, Antonio. Senzatella. Yeah, Antonio Senzatella. Um, you know, in, the, in addition there, he's got a new um, curveball, which he's used now. He's a renewed changeup and a you know a good old. Um, good for his self-confidence, which showed again this spring training with two scoreless innings in the Rockies 7-4 loss to uh, the Rangers on one particular day in spring training. Um, you know, I think that was added to him because he lost 15 pounds during the offseason. Um, so there was a little thing about him eating empanadas and had a uh, reflexive habit of grabbing candy whenever it's laying around. So He'll have to be tampered down when, when the season begins and <laughs> control himself there. <laughs> but um, Sensatella, he's actually a rare player who gains weight um, during a lengthy season. So that's something to 
keep watch on if we can during season. Um, so, but he, uh, he's got a good family and support system there. They all help him kind of keep the weight off, which may help him control the ERA specifically. Um, does use his fastball about 62% of the time. He's got a slider and curveball. His best pitch is actually the curve. Um, but he overall, this pitcher, he needs a lot of work. He has, he has poor strikeout rate, poor Woba batting average allowed, and hard contact allowed. Um, but he does have the 94-95 mile-per-hour fastball. So, um, you know, maybe he can improve um, in all those aspects of the game. Interesting with Senzatella is looking at his splits. He's one of the rare guys who actually pitched better at Coors Field than on the road, at least in terms of his, I mean, his win record, win-loss record is 7-4 and four compared to 4-7. and seven. His ERA was more than a run lower in Coors Field than on the road, which is pretty surprising. So he may actually be one of the few pitchers, along with those Colorado hitters, who's going to miss playing in Colorado. I think so, yeah, because this, typically, you know, these pitchers do have those splits like that for um, Colorado. And then, um, I should have mentioned, mentioned this guy as maybe the number one or two option. They're, they're relying on Kyle Freeland as well. Um, he did get some catches league starts um, against some different teams. He's a lefty, um, but he had some back spasms during the spring. But he'll return, you know, to the mound. He'll be ready, I think, fully healthy. Um, but, you know, barring the setbacks, he had kind of a weird – I watched some film of him. I was like uh, spending about, you know – 24 hours uh, watching film <laughs> straight, <laughs> but uh, he had a weird motion where he, ca- he kicks his leg up and he just holds it there. And I don't know why, but and then as he progressed through the innings, uh, I suppose third through fifth innings, he, he let that go. He just started going more smoother for the motion. I don't know if that's a regular thing for him, but um, you know, he's um, he's got good control as a lefty and he can uh, really you know, take command control of the mound as far as, getting some guys out and so forth. So he's one of their better arms. So, and then just, you know, touching back around on the bullpen, um, they have a veteran. They signed Wade Davis. He'll be looking to rebound from his second half struggles last year. As we get closer to the season actually starting, they're grooming another guy, Scott Oberg. Um, so these guys signed contracts basically, um, and some of these guys even give options, uh, interestingly, for this guy, Oberg, for an additional $8 million as an option to kind of control that deal um, as a, as a fourth-year option, if I suppose if he does well or not. But, um, you know, the team has control over that, in a sense, um, over over these guys. And, you know, once they get Freeling going back and in line, that would give the Rockies a solid one, two, three punch in the rotation, really, um, looking at Freeland, Gray, and Herman Marquez. So... Um, we can use these guys, but we can also stack against them sometimes. It depends really on the specific splits and how we want to manage our lineups, you know. Yeah, and, and getting back to the bullpen, you mentioned Wade Davis. And that's just the beauty of baseball is a guy like that who he can just pitch forever. It seems like forever ago he was on the Royals. I was rooting for him in the postseason back in those 13, 14, 15 seasons to um, speaking of, you know, Mad- Madison Bumgarner earlier when those guys were facing off in the playoffs for different teams, but still kicking around in his mid thirties. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I also got some interesting 
uh, team stat numbers here. The Rockies, uh, you know, rated out overall last year, average of really sixth in all these different categories, such as batting, total bases, slugging percentage. On base, they were ranked 12th. Um, so some decent numbers there. Um, but in the overall pitching category, um, they were they were ranking out 29, 30th in the league in all in all significant pitching categories. And in fielding, I even have that here for the Rockies. They rank 14th in fielding, so that's what their defense looks at, you know, behind the pitcher. In double plays, they ranked third, so they can hammer out some double plays. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking about Colorado on the big picture here, and. They really can't be too excited about this season because of that home field advantage. One thing I noticed is that they were 15 games better at home, uh, 43 and 38 at home last year, but a terrible 28 and 53 on the road. So 15 more wins at home. The only team in Major League Baseball with a bigger home field advantage in terms of the difference in win-loss record was the Cubs. They were 18 wins better at home. So if Colorado has to play all their games down south, away from Coors Field, um, you know, and, then, and you talk about their poor pitching staff, they've got Mookie Betts coming into the division with the Dodgers. It's just like mm-hmm. it's got to be a bit of a nightmare for the Rockies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, we could even circle back if you want back to Arizona. I forgot to bring up the rankings there. Sure. Yeah, by the numbers there, the 2019 team stats. They were a little bit higher than mid-range. They ranked 14th in batting in the league, total bases 12, slugging 13th, on-base percentage 15th, right in the middle, OPS 14th. So they were not bad um, in pitching categories overall. So this includes starting and bullpen. 12th in ERA, 13th in wins, uh, opponents batting average 17th. So also right in the middling of the uh, National League, well, well, really the whole league. Oh, I mean, in the fielding, ranked sixth in fielding. So they got some good talent there in the field and double plays 12th. Excellent. Well, my money is certainly on Arizona to, to finish stronger this year uh, compared to Colorado. Uh, certainly like a lot of those bats. Um, but we are going to continue breaking down the NL West tomorrow. Uh, Mike Apatrio will be on along with Andy again to break down the Giants and the Padres. And we should mention that if you want more information along these lines on Twitter, you can follow Andy at Drew J. Gallagher. Gallagher is G-A-L-L-A-G-H-E-R. You can find me on Twitter at Language Olympic. You can find our crew on Twitter at DFS Coach Talk, and you can also go to our website, DFSCoachTalk.com, join in with a weekly, monthly, or yearly membership, and you can put that membership on hold until we get baseball or basketball up and running again here. Join us in our Discord as we chat about all of our key sports, MLB, NBA, NFL, every day, just Really trying to crush it here, Andy, as we wait for the sports to come back. Yeah, we'll sure do that. Um, make sure that we, well, make sure that you all, our audience, keep tuning in uh, next week and week 
afters with everybody uh, getting their different teams in and following these teams, um, well, really every team specifically, and just get a nice uh, preview of what's to happen. And so we get a nice um, overall and kind of put a, a DFS spin on it, of course, to try to try to get that in there here as well. Absolutely. We're, tr- we're trying to dig in here, break down these teams two at a time so that everybody's ready for MLB DFS when it comes back. Um, it, it really seems like they are pushing hard, strategizing, trying to figure out the quickest way back on the field, safest way. I, I'm very optimistic that it's going to happen. So we do appreciate everybody tuning in. Um, we want to mention that um, if you're if you're uh, looking for a way to contribute outside of the, the pandemic, you can go to mambaon3.org, Coach's fa- favorite charitable endeavor uh, created by Kobe Bryant's wife after that terrible accident. Um, and, and that's about it for the show today. We want to thank you again for joining us here on DFS Coach Talk. And be sure to tune in again tomorrow when Andy is back with Micah Patria as they break down the Giants and Padres. And as Andy mentioned, we're just going to keep cranking away here two teams as a t- two teams at a time. We're going through all the Major League Baseball teams. Then we're going to transition to NFL. And then hopefully before you know it, we'll be back for some real sports right after that. But we are going to be prepared to crush it when the world of real DFS returns. So please continue to tune in. We'll be back again tomorrow for another episode of DFS Coach Talk.